Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Freya Sampson, author of the debut novel, The Last Chance Library. And Freya's novel, The Last Chance Library, was just chosen as a Good Morning America bus pick this morning on Friday, September 3rd. Freya, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Sure. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your debut novel, The Last Chance Library, how would you describe the novel? Um, It is a novel about a a shy young woman who uh, fights to save her library from closure with the help of a group of rather eccentric library patrons. So it's sort of an uplifting celebration of libraries, of the power of reading to change people's lives, and of community and the kindness of strangers. And do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write The Last Chance Library? Uh, Yes. So, I I mean, I've always been a library user um, since I was a child. I was a bookish child, so I've always gone to the library. But I always went really just to borrow books. You know, it was quite a sort of straightforward. I would go in, take my books and leave. And then uh, seven years ago, when my daughter was born, that all sort of changed really because I um, I found the early months of motherhood really quite hard. I felt, even though I live in London, busy city, but I felt really quite isolated. And I started the first time I, I took my daughter out on our own. We went to my local library, uh, and I felt very safe there, very kind of uh, like it was a welcoming, non-judgmental space. And we started going all the time. It really became my lifeline. And so it was sort of during that time that I started to see the library in a different way, see the other people who, like me, came not just because of books, but because they needed the library, be it for the computers or uh, for human interaction, for a safe space. And it was then that I first had this idea of writing a book that sort of showed just how vital libraries are to our communities. And I'm curious, how did you cope during the pandemic with with not being able to go to the library? Yeah. I mean, it was really strange. Um, and I think, you know, it was quite telling here in the United Kingdom, and I think it was very similar in, in America, that you know, libraries were some of the last things to close here when we went into lockdown and some of the very first things to open. I think people realised just how much people... You know, the public rely on the library. For example, the number of people for whom the library is their only means to get online. You know, it's their it's their access to the world. So, you know, I, I read about in America there were libraries that were when their doors were physically locked were opening up their parking lots for people to come and just log on to the library internet. So, I think mm-hmm. you know, I really missed the library as a space, but I think it was it's been quite sort of revealing just how many people need the library and how difficult it's been with them when they've had to shut their doors. Sure. Well, you mentioned that you were a bookish child. What were some of the books and authors that you loved to read as a young reader? Oh, I mean, I uh, I loved series when I was kids. So, I mean, I said the Roald Dahl books were some of the first books I really remember reading. Um, so I loved, you know, Matilda and the BFG and all those kind of fantastic stories um, and then after that, I just, I loved the Nancy Drew books. I loved the Sweet Valley High books. Uh, I really just, any, I, I loved the Enid Blyton books. I don't know if that's such a big thing in America, but she wrote these kind of sort of um, uh, quite old fashioned stories about English boarding schools that I used to find so <laughs> exotic as a child. I would just devour them. 
So I, I, I read, uh, and I think that there, there were lots of books that I could keep going back and borrowing the, from the library, what made me happy as a child. That's great. Well, as I mentioned, The Last Chance Library is your debut novel. What was your writing journey that led you to writing and getting your first novel published? Um, I mean, so I've always been a storyteller. Um, ever since I was a child, I always told stories. Um, and I loved creative writing at school. But I think as I got older, I really lost my confidence in writing. I had huge imposter syndrome, which meant that you know, I'd have a go at writing a book and I'd get, I don't know, five, 10,000 words in. And then I would just, I, I would read it back and I would compare it to the great novels that I was reading at the time. And I would think, oh, you know, this is, this is rubbish. No one will ever want to read this. So I always, I always gave up. I have so many started novels sitting in a bottom drawer. And it really <laughs> wasn't until my thirties when I did a, I was, it was when I was on maternity leave with my second child, I did a, writing course run by the Faber Academy, who are an incredible writing school here in the UK, uh, run by the publishers Faber and Faber. And they have in-person courses and online courses. And I did an in-person course for six months, you know, just an evening class. And that was just hugely, hugely useful for me. I mean, partly in terms of just sort of teaching me to be a better writer, um, but also teaching me that it sounds really obvious to say this, but, you know, first drafts are allowed to be rubbish. They're meant to be rubbish. No one writes a perfect first draft. It really sort of freed me of all those anxieties and imposter syndrome and meant that I could finish the draft. Um, and then I, uh, when I finished, I, I wrote a draft on that course of a book that wasn't very good, but I'd, I'd done it. I'd written a first draft and that felt great. And then I had this idea for the library book that had been nagging away in my brain. So I sat down and I, I wrote this fairly quickly, actually, and sent it out to agents. And I was very lucky to get a great agent. And we edited together for a few months. And then she sent out some in submission in the UK and America at the same time. And it was, it was this sort of crazy whirlwind. It went to auction in both countries. And yeah, so I was, you know, it took me a really long time to get the confidence to actually start doing it. Um, after 30 years of making up stories, I finally wrote them down. Um, and then, yeah, the last few years have just been very exciting. That's wonderful. So you mentioned these novels that you started but didn't finish. Do you ever go back and look at those? <laughs> Do you know, I haven't yet. I haven't yet. I, I will because <laughs> there's ideas in there, I'm sure of it. Uh, but I haven't yet. No, <laughs> they're, they're there for a rainy day. Sure. Well, what was your writing process when you were working on The Last Chance Library? Did you outline the novel extensively or did you just dive into the narrative and see where the story took you? Um, so I'm a, I'm a plotter, uh, I would say, if we were, I mean, that's a broad statement, but I do like to sort of know where the book is going. And actually, when I had the idea for this, I sort of pretty much straight away knew what the structure was going to be of the book because I knew sort of what, what had to happen and how I wanted it to end. But the details within that come as I write. And um, what I have found actually is sometimes I'm working on a second book at the moment, which I, you know, the same, I knew my outline, I knew what I wanted to happen, but I wrote a whole draft and then realized that although the story worked, I wasn't telling it right. And I went back and started it again. So although I do plot, a lot changes as I write in particular with the characters you know it is true that I think until you write a character for a while you don't really know what they're going to do and how they're going to react 
So there is definitely a certain amount of pantsing in there too. <laughs> sure. Without giving too much away of the novel that you mentioned that you're working on now, how did you how did you know that you weren't telling it right? Was it just a gut feeling? Yeah, it was. I got to the end of the draft and I knew that the story worked, but it was just, it was really flat. And I just felt. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I, I just realized that although the plot worked, the way I was telling it didn't. The voice was was not exciting. I just I knew that I wanted to tell the it was the story I wanted to tell, but I had got it wrong. And so I, I went back and I mean I really did just rewrite the book, but I, I kind of like there were originally there were two characters. I cut one of them out. I realized that I only needed one voice. Um, and, uh, the, just the voice was the thing that changed really. And once I had, once I had that voice in my head, the second draft was, was quite, I mean, the second attempt was relatively quick because I knew what the story was. I'd worked that out in the first draft. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it, it just, it didn't sing. It fell flat for me and I knew it wasn't good enough. Gotcha. So what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh, so much. Um, so I have just read um, Catherine Heine's new book. Um, I absolutely love her writing. I think she is very smart and very funny. I adored everything she's written. I've just read a brilliant thriller that's coming out in a few weeks' time by another debut author, actually, called Amanda Jayatisa, which is a brilliantly sort of twisty thriller, very different to what I write, but really, really well done. Um, I have really enjoyed Emily Henry's books. I'd never read them and I've read a couple back to back. Um, they're just hugely entertaining reads. And I think at the moment with the world as it is, I'm really enjoying books that just sort of make me smile. Um, so yeah, I've been enjoying lots recently, actually. That's great. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are listening, who are working on their own stories and novels? Um, I mean, I would say, well, well, one, like I already mentioned, I think um, don't, when you're writing that first draft, don't be put off if the words you're putting down don't feel as good as you know, as you want them to be. Um, I, I don't know many writers who write perfect first drafts. You know, it all happens in the editing. So don't make the mistake I made of being massively sort of disheartened um, when what you're writing doesn't feel good enough. Just keep going because the the magic happens in the editing. Um, and just keep going, really. I mean, there was a piece of advice that was continually given to me when I was doing my Faber Academy writing course. Just keep going. You know, you've, you've got to write in order to write the book. Um, so push on, even on the days where it feels like you're not going in the right direction because you will get there. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your debut novel? Uh, so I'm on Instagram and Facebook at uh, Freya Sampson Author and on Twitter at Sampson F. 
Well, again, we've been speaking with Freya Sampson, author of the debut novel, The Last Chance Library. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Freya, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great to chat to you. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of The Last Chance Library by Freya Sampson, narrated by Natalie Pownell, available from Penguin Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold. Alan Bennett, where the hell are you? It was Saturday morning and June couldn't find him anywhere. She'd searched the house and the shed and had even checked in the loft in case he'd gone up there looking for something, but to no avail. Come on, Alan, the joke's over, she called, but the house answered with willful silence. June put a piece of bread in the toaster and switched on the kettle. She listened to the slow hiss of water boiling and tried to ignore the simmering sensation in her stomach. The weekend stretched ahead of her long and gloriously empty. But while the prospect of all those hours of solitary reading time usually filled her with joy, this morning June felt jumpy. In her decade working at the library, she'd always managed to avoid taking rhyme time, or indeed any activity where she had to speak in front of a group of people. And now, on Monday, she'd have to stand up in front of dozens of children and their carers, talking and singing songs and entertaining them like, June took a mouthful of toast, but it felt like cardboard in her mouth, and she pushed her plate aside. Five minutes later, she sat down on the sofa with a thick, dog-eared copy of War and Peace. It was a novel that June had tried and failed to read several times before, but at more than 1,000 pages, it was the perfect project to distract her this weekend. Besides, it was a book that her mum loved. And for that reason, June had always felt guilty that she'd never managed to finish it. She lifted up the paperback and held it to her nose, inhaling the reassuring aroma of aged paper and dust. But there was another scent there too, a base note of soap and the faintest hint of smoke. June closed her eyes and allowed herself to imagine her mum sitting next to her, legs tucked under her body in the way she'd always liked to curl up, the book on her lap, and an ashtray balanced on the arm of the sofa. The two of them had spent hundreds of weekends like this, side by side in contented silence, interrupted occasionally by her mother's throaty laugh at something within the pages. The memory of it made June's chest ache in longing, and she opened the book and started to read. She was about 30 pages in when the doorbell rang. For a brief moment, June wondered if it was the postman, delivering a pile of birthday cards that had been forgotten yesterday. But she told herself off for even entertaining such a ridiculous thought. As June opened the front door, she was confronted by the sight of her next-door neighbour, Linda, wearing a fuchsia dress and a huge pair of gold earrings. Linda was obsessed with Jilly Cooper novels and always dressed as if Rupert Campbell Black was about to turn up in Chalcott and whisk her off to the hunt ball, even at nine in the morning. In her arms was an indignant-looking Alan Bennett. Look who I found hiding in my airing cupboard, the sneaky little bugger. Alan let out a hiss of rage and sprang from Linda's grip. I'm so sorry, Linda. I've been looking everywhere for him. No bother. You're not busy, are you? 
Before June could reply, Linda had bustled in through the door and made her way into the living room, calling back, No milk for me! I'm doing Slimming World! June made tea in two chip mugs and carried them through, where she found Linda sprawled on the sofa, leafing through war and peace. Jesus, love, why should you put yourself through this? Linda said, casting the book onto the floor in disgust. It was one of Mum's favourites. She always did have terrible taste in books. You know I bought her all of Jilly's and she never read one. Linda's heavily penciled eyebrows shot up in horror and June laughed. I have to admit, this one's a bit tough even for me. It's a good thing your mum also loved gin and a gossip, otherwise we'd never have been friends. Linda took a swig from her mug. I was thinking yesterday, do you remember your seventh birthday when we made you that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory cake? We tried to make a great glass elevator, only we ended up getting a bit tipsy, and the whole thing was skew-if like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. She let out a loud guffaw, splashing hot tea on the sofa. You guys always made me the best birthday cakes, June said, smiling. For her sixth birthday, her mum and Linda had baked to the giant spider and luminous pink pig from Charlotte's Web. And for her tenth birthday, they tried to make a Hermione and Hagrid from Harry Potter out of sugar fondant although it had ended up looking like something out of a horror movie. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.